The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. From our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a political analyst for news radio station KNX in Los Angeles, and a contributor to The Hill in Washington, DC. If you want to read my uh, co- uh, contributions in the Hill on the twists and turns in the midterm elections, you can see them at muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon uh, front slash articles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Every week on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. We're going, it's clearly only, it's a day before election day, so we're going to talk about uh, the uh, lay of the political land and issue, and an important issue that will come up in the midterm elections. In the first half hour, our guests will be Caroline Vakil, who's a campaign correspondent for The Hill. Then in the second half hour, Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works, joins us to discuss the Republican threat to the, uh, to the safety of Social Security and Medicare. Uh, But before we get to our first guest, uh, let's play this clip from former President Obama, who talks about uh, that we who basically makes the point that we can have hope instead of slash and burn in American politics. And I certainly hope he's right. The kind of slash and burn politics that we're seeing right now, that doesn't have to be who we are. We can be better. And, and, and it has nothing to do, by the way, with political correctness or being too woke. It's about fundamental values that my grandparents from Kansas taught me. Values I grew up with, values you grew up with, values we try to teach our kids, values we learn in churches and mosques and synagogues and temples, honesty, fairness, opportunity, hard work, values that Josh Shapiro and John Spetterman stand for, values that Joe Biden stands for, values that were enshrined in our founding documents a few miles from here, a clarion call for freedom and equality that Philly's own Liberty Bell represents. That's what America stands for. That's who we are. I'd like to think President Obama is right because I certainly am tired of the current turmoil and turbulence in American politics. Um, 
Anyway, uh, let's uh, bring on our guest. Our guest in this half hour is Carolyn Vakil, who is campaign correspondent for The Hill. Welcome to Deadline DC, Carolyn. Thanks for joining us today. I know it must be a very busy day for you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, well, first, let me com uh, let me ask you to comment on what President Obama said. Uh, this has been a very, very nasty campaign. Uh, is there any hope? Do you think that uh, we that uh, President Obama is right that we can have uh, hope in American politics instead of just bitterness and cruelty, or is he just being entirely unrealistic? You know, I think that this is sort of a, a campaign message that Obama, that former President Obama is trying to lead with going into the midterms of trying to unify Democrats. Um, and, you know, he's seen as a, as a major campaign surrogate right now going to places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania to kind of unite Democrats. Um, and I think trying to give some some hope, especially to candidates who are seeing these key Senate races really tightening up over the recent weeks. Um, and so I think that he's trying to, you know, project forward, you know, a note of optimism. I still think that, you know, Democrats are sort of readying themselves for tomorrow and in terms of what they're going to see, um, you know, which could be a red ripple, it could be a red wave. Um, but that's sort of the message of unity that I think um, former President Obama is is known for and is trying to project in, in this rally here. Okay, uh, let's talk about some of the states. And I want to start off with three states uh, that have very competitive uh, U.S. Senate and governor's races. Uh, the first two are from the Southwest. Uh, we have a very close races for governor and for U.S. Senate in uh, Arizona. Do you want to talk about what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you're right. Both of those races are are, are extremely tight. Um, you know, in the gubernatorial race, you've got Carrie Lake, who is a former local news anchor, um, Republican candidate running for um, Governor Doug Ducey's seat, who's already term limited and is not running again, um, versus uh, Katie Hobbs, you know, state secretary of state. And, um, you know, it's been a, a bit of a, of a nasty gubernatorial race in some ways. I mean, Katie Hobbs has been repeatedly attacked for not debating Carrie Lake. Um, we've seen this conversation, the cycle of uh, debate over debates and whether or not, you know, uh, candidates should be debating with one another and, and when and how often. Um, and so, you know, despite the fact that um, uh, Katie Hobbs has sort of been scrutinized, you know, for not uh, debating her Republican counterpart, the polls show it's pretty close. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. And, you know, I was speaking to a Republican strategist more recently who said that some of these key, you know, tight races could really kind of come down to, you know, gubernatorial candidates really um, having some possible coattails for senatorial uh, candidates in this case, you know, Blake Masters, um, who's running against um, Senator Mark Kelly, and this Republican strategist suggesting that um, Carrie Lake could have coattails for, for Blake Masters. So, it, you know, it is interesting to see that even though they're running very uh, different races in some ways, they're, they're still parallel. And um, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there, but both of them are very tight. Um, 
Mark Kelly is a prolific fundraiser, and I think Mark Kelly has definitely dodged the same kind of negative headlines that, um, you know, people like Blake Masters, other Republican contenders have had to contend with this cycle. And, um, it's, you know, it's been difficult for Republican candidates this cycle, too, because some of these primaries have really shown intra-party division. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get to speak about Pennsylvania Senate race, too, and other states, but some of these have been a bit nasty. And, um, you know, we certainly saw that in Arizona with the gubernatorial race, which was sort of in some ways seen as a proxy war between former President Trump's endorsed candidate and uh, Doug Ducey and uh, former Vice President Mike Pence endorsed candidate. Now, let me ask you this question. You mentioned the fact that in Arizona, both Republican candidates, uh, Lake and Masters, are election deniers. Uh, is Does the fact they're doing so well, what, you know, I mean, is... I imagine that those are big races for uh, Donald Trump uh, when you have two full-fledged election deniers running in a position uh, to uh, take power in Arizona. Uh, what does it say about Trump that election deniers are doing so well in Arizona and other places you mentioned? I definitely think that these um, primaries that Trump has gotten involved in this cycle have really um, has has I think forced Republican candidates to sort of make a um, stance about the election, whether or not they wanted to or not. And you know, I think for for Carrie Lake, for example, um, I think her views were very clear going into the to the primary. I, there's a a clip of a. PBS debate that she had with several other gubernatorial candidates um, that basically at one point she asked them to raise their hands if they believe that the, the last election was, you know, stolen or rigged. I think that Blake Masters, on the other hand, has also sort of had to contend with, you know, uh, the questions about the last election has kind of, I think, had a little bit more, has tried to, I think, moderate a little bit more of his messaging, but has still had to face the same questions. And so I think it's really shown that with Trump involved in these primaries, I think candidates have had to wade, wade into issues that maybe they perhaps wouldn't normally want to or, or would have normally thought about, if that makes sense. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break here to uh, give our radio listeners a little rest. We will continue uh, with our video uh, viewers on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Our guest is Carolyn Vakil from The Hill. Okay, welcome back to uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guest in this half hour is campaign reporter for The Hill, Caroline Vakil. Uh, she's here talking about some of the hot U.S. Senate and gubernatorial campaigns uh, across the country. A reminder to our radio listeners, we're glad to have you back. If you'd like to watch Deadline DC as well as listen to it, uh, you can watch us on Twitter at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon, or you can watch us on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Okay, uh, we're moving across the country here. 
let's go. Uh, there's. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, hot races uh, in the East. Uh, let's start uh, in the uh, in the Granite State in New Hampshire. Uh, the Democratic incumbent is Maggie Hassan. Uh, she's in a very tight race with a uh, retired U.S. Army General Dan Bulldog. And, you know, when Bulldog won the nomination uh, against a less controversial Republican, Chuck Morris, who had been House Speaker in New Hampshire, uh, people gave uh, Bulldog very little chance to winning. Uh, but according to my reading of the polls, he's running very close with uh, Hassan. What's going on there? Yeah. You before the the primary there were republicans who were a little bit more um apprehensive about bulldog's chances um but right after the primary when he did win you did see spending from um a super PAC uh, aligned with senate minority leader mitch mcconnell um you also saw the senate um republicans campaign arm both start spending money in new hampshire and then sort of one by one started to exit when some of the polls showed that um, Senator Hassan was, you know, leading uh, Bulldog. Um, more recently, the uh, NRSC, the Senate Republicans campaign arm, has um, put some money back into the race in New Hampshire because, as, as you said, Brad, you know, this race has tightened. Um, and, you know, Democrats and Republicans alike believe it's because it's a more favorable political environment with issues like, the economy being on top of you know voters' minds and especially rising heat costs, um, oil you know those being especially prevalent um, you know issues in, in New Hampshire and so I think that's why it's kind of become a bit uh, closer again. Okay, uh, let's move down to uh, Pennsylvania. It was a uh, big weekend in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, you had uh, former presidents Obama and Trump campaign there. Uh, you had uh, President Biden in there. Uh, and you have what apparently is a close Senate race uh, between the Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman uh, and uh, the uh, television doctor, uh, Dr. Oz. Uh, and uh, why is why is all this uh, heavy presidential traffic in uh, Pennsylvania this weekend? Yeah, um, you know, this is definitely sort of seen as Democrats' best pickup opportunity in the Senate. Um, and, you know, in the state, Republicans are definitely playing defense. I think that we are seeing a lot of investment because, you know, this is one. This state is going to be one of the holding one of the keys to to the Senate majority um, after Tuesday. And you know, already you know, journalists like myself and political watchers are already gearing up because we know that it's likely that we're not going to see some of these races called for a while. But I think the stakes have been really high in terms of outside spending from Democratic groups, um, from outside Republican groups, and like you mentioned. Um, uh, people like, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama coming to the state. Um, you know, I think one of the, the big things in terms of, you know, sort of what we were mentioning earlier, this has been a state where John Fetterman, the Democrat running, um, was, you know, equally enjoying really favorable or flattering polls over the summer, 
post the Supreme Court decision. And now this race has started to, to um, tighten up a little bit. Um, I think Republicans are starting to coalesce a little bit more around Mehmet Oz because he kind of suffered a, a bit of a, a bruising primary. Um, you know, it, it's also something that I think Republicans are sort of hoping that post this, you know, big televised debate that just happened that, you know, maybe it might cut into the sort of lead that Fetterman has had, although it, it seems right now that maybe hasn't made as much of a you know, difference as I think some Democrats feared it might after John Futterman had his debate performance, but it's definitely um, going to be one of the the key Senate ba uh, races that will determine, you know, whether or not Republicans are successful, at, you know, taking back the majority in the Senate. Okay, uh, let's move down to Georgia. You have another very tight uh, senatorial uh, race. Uh, between uh, the incumbent, uh, uh, Reverend Wanick, uh, and his Republican challenger, former UGA football star, Herschel Walker. Now, th this race, uh, you know, is a curious one. Walker has been plagued by scandal of one sort, you know, you know, you know, fudging on his uh, resume, uh, his, you know, charges that he had paid uh, former girlfriends for abortions, even though he, uh, you know, favors uh, uh, the Dobbs decision. In fact, I guess he favors an absolute uh, ban on abortions. Uh, but despite all the troubles Walker has faced, he is in a neck and neck race with uh, Senator Warnick. What, why? I think, you know, one thing that we've seen from polling is that even though, you know, these reports that came out first with the Daily Beast and then with other places like the New York Times that, um, had allegations that he was paying, you know, women that he had previous relationships with to have an abortion. You know, I think even before those reports came out, this was still a bit of a close race, given other previous allegations, you know, scrutiny over his credentials, um, over, um, you know, claims that his ex-wife had made um, that still show that this was a bit of a tight race. I, and so I think in some ways this is kind of proving that the Senate race is still, you know, the polls kind of showed after um, these reports came out in October that it it looked like it hit, it gave him a temporary hit to his campaign. But I think since then, you know, after these, uh, you know, reports came out, national Republicans really did coalesce around him, including people like Tom Cotton, Rick Scott. Um, I, I also think, you know, it kind of really depends on what the local media coverage is. And if, you know, people are seeing issues like crime, talking about, you know, gas prices and economy, those might be the sort of things that weigh on people's minds. And then I think you also have to take in the fact that he's a former football player who's very well known in Georgia. And I think that... Um, and Georgia's that number one in the national rankings right now. Yeah, so I think that that does mean something, you know, still to voters, so... Yeah, we'll see. Uh, sadly, Carolyn, that's all time we have. Thank you very much for joining us today on Deadline DC. I hope you can join us again at some point to talk about the aftermath. Our guest is Carolyn Vakil, 
campaign correspondent for The Hill. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Alex Lawson, who is the Executive Director of Social Security Works. And before we go to Alex, we're going to play this clip of President Biden talking about the uh, GOP threat to the survival of Social Security and Medicare. The kind of... And he laid out a clear plan. He said every five years, Social Security and Medicare would have to be reauthorized. Quote... All federal legislation sunsets, means out of existence, in five years. If the law is worth keeping, Congress will pass it again. So every five years, the Congress will have to vote to reauthorize Social Security. Reauthorize it, or else it goes away. We'd have to vote to reauthorize Medicare. Reauthorize veterans' benefits. And I go down the list, but guess what? The very idea that a senator from Florida wants to cut Social Security and Medicare, and by the way, they don't have to just don't have to go away, they can cut it. They can change it, basically. A senator from Florida going after Medicare and Social Security? I tell you what, I don't know where, as they say in Southern, I don't know where y'all been. Hot <laughs> damn, boy. I tell you, look. It's so outrageous, you might even, you might not even believe it. And again, word for word, all federal legislation sunsets, means goes away in five years. If the, if the law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. In other words, it goes out of existence if Congress doesn't vote to keep it. Isn't that wonderful? And then along came Senator Johnson from Wisconsin. He says five years is too long to wait. No, I, it's hard to believe. No, I really mean it. It's hard to believe. He says takes, that, that's too long. Every year, every single year it should be on the chopping block, along with veterans' benefits and everything else in the federal budget. Congress doesn't vote affirmatively to keep it. It goes away. Gone. You've been paying in Social Security your whole life. You earned it. Now, these guys want to take it away. Who in the hell do they think they are? Excuse my language. That was President Biden talking about the massive Republican threat to the survival of Social Security and Medicare. Uh, today, our guest to talk on that topic is Alex Lawson, who is Executive Director of Social Security Works. Welcome to Deadline DC, Alex. Thanks for having me. Let me ask you this. Uh, it used to be, or maybe it still is, I'll ask you, uh, is threatening to gut Social Security and Medicare still the third rail of American politics or not? Some of these Republicans like, you know, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, uh, who are grave threats to Social Security, uh, you know, are hanging in there. Is it still a disqualifier? Yeah. It is. I mean, the first thing you have to understand is just how stupid Ron Johnson is. Um, and it's really hard for people. Do we people, have time to talk about how stupid he is? And I know. Hard? It's hard for people to square that. But um, he is just not a smart man. Um, and he does what his donors tell him to do, but in a sort of bumbling way. 
Um, and while it's really important not to underestimate our opponents, those who want to destroy Social Security, Medicare, to raise our prescription drug prices, it's also important not to overestimate them. Uh, and remember that they literally don't exist in the same world that we do, right? I mean, Ron Johnson does not talk to people uh, in everyday situations. Ron Johnson talks to people in situations where they're giving him envelopes of cash and telling him what to do, right? It's a it's a it's a club, and we're How not in no it. It's giving me envelopes full of cash. I know. Um, well, you're not willing to deliver them our money, right? And that's what Ron Johnson is saying. But there is still a tell. As, as dumb a man as Ron Johnson is, as unfit uh, for service and leadership as that man is, he still understands that it's the third rail because they still put this, oh, we're just going to reauthorize it every year, right? I mean, that, who understands what that means? President Biden did a good job explaining it, but he left out the most important part, which is every year under Senator Johnson's plan, Senator Johnson would be pushing to destroy Social Security and to cut benefits. They're, the Republicans are the ones who would lobby during that process to get rid of Social Security, to get rid of Medicare. I mean, this is what their dream is. Paul Ryan, I mean, I think you remember this this really uh, sick insight into his personality where Paul Ryan said that uh, in keg lines in college, he used to fantasize about stealing seniors' Medicare, right? I mean, like, what kind of sicko has that fantasy and what kind of sicko then tells everyone about it? And the thing is, that part of the Republican Party hasn't changed at all. So there's all this other stuff going on. But believe me, what they will do when they get in power, because they're like, automatons. They dance to a tune that billionaires call. And we know what that song is. The song is do whatever you can to cut, to destroy, to uh, eliminate Social Security uh, and Medicare, because those things work. That's what billionaires don't like. This is us working together in a social insurance way that is not driven by profit. Uh, so they see the administrative costs that are incredibly low that keep this whole system going, and they see that as a wasted opportunity, a golden yacht that they could have bought if they'd uh, you know, slapped a 30% fee on uh, to our social security and things like that. So it is still the third rail. It's just Ron Johnson uh, is you know, walking up to it and, and grabbing it. Uh, but even he understands that he's not going around and saying, I'm gonna cut your social security, even though that's exactly uh, what he is going to do. I think the comparison between them, their ilk, uh, Rick Scott, Ron Johnson, is Mitch McConnell, who was always and is always incredibly careful to keep Social Security out uh, of the pre-election news. And he only goes after it uh, as soon as they get power. He comes with his meat cleaver uh, to put it on the chopping block. But there is a difference. I don't think it's because Social Security has lost even a, an iota of its voltage, of its power, of its saliency to the American people. Not Republicans, not Democrats. Everybody loves Social Security. It, it doesn't have to do with um, Social Security. It has to do with the type of Republicans that are running right now. Okay, well, uh, President Biden addressed uh, the problem in the clip that we played. Uh, now, if I'm wrong, uh, correct me, but essentially the setup is this. 
at some point, I guess early next year, uh, Congress is going to have to vote uh, to authorize a uh, increase in the federal debt limit. And uh, I gather that a Republican plan is that uh, if, well, again, it depends on what happens tomorrow, of course, uh, but the Republican plan, uh, if they control the House and the Senate, is to demand that President Biden uh, basically, you know, guts Social Security and Medicare uh, in return for a vote to increase the federal debt limit. At which point, uh, President Biden will have a choice where he can shut down the federal government, um, give in to Republican demands. Uh, what do you think? How is this going to play out? So there's two things there that you mixed into one. Um, okay. So let me uh, tease out the two, because one of them is holding government funding hostage uh, to get what you want. And then the government shuts down if, if uh, you don't negotiate with them. And the Republicans will do that. Um, that's, you know, the Congress is actually where money gets spent from. Um, so that is definitely something that they'll do in, in DC speak. Uh, this is the CR or the omnibus that's going to be, uh, talked about in the final session. Um, but then there's another thing, which is the debt ceiling. Uh, and if, if they actually say, we're going to hold the debt ceiling hostage unless you cut social security and Medicare, that's not me saying it. That's Kevin McCarthy said that's their plan. Um, and They'll do this if the Republicans take either the House or the Senate or both of them. Um, they only need, uh, it's harder for them to do actually if they just take the Senate. Uh, so the likeliest one is they, if they take the House, um, then it really is in their control to um, not have, not allow the debt ceiling to be raised. What that does is actually just crashes the world economy. We don't know for certain what would happen, but we know that the last time that they, they did this, which is how we know exactly what they're going to do, the, the Tea Party held it hostage. And just the threat was enough that S&P downgraded U.S. sovereign debt, um, be, not because of our ability to pay, because America is the richest country in the history of the world, but because our political system allowed us uh, to do this. So that's what they will hold hostage to demand cuts to Social Security um, from President Biden. And it won't be just shutting down the government. It will be, you know, an economic collapse, like what happened in England, but times 10,000. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're going to take a short break so we can give our radio listeners a very brief uh, uh, rest. Uh, then we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our guest in this half hour, Alex Lawson, who is the Executive Director of Social Security Works. Don't go anywhere. We have a lot of good show left after when we come back. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guest in this half hour is Alex Lawson. Executive Director of SocialSecurityWorks.org. Uh, Alex, uh, one thing, you know, if why are Republicans raising this issue? Um, you know, if it was up to me, um, fortunately, I don't work with Republicans. So I don't have to worry about this. Uh, I wouldn't say a word about cutting Social Security benefits right before an election. Why are they? So it's a, it's a 
really important and interesting question. Uh, and I know, um, you know, we could talk for long times about this, but one of the main reasons is that power is shifting around in the Republican Party. Um, so, you know, Donald Trump is attacking Mitch McConnell. He's attacking Ron DeSantis. Mitch McConnell has been the most effective and dangerous politician, I think, of my lifetime. He is an amazing uh, at doing evil. I mean, like, he's just amazing at it. But his grip is slipping. Um, and, you know, what his grip is, is, is money. It's those billionaire donors. Um, so what you're actually seeing is Rick Scott and then Ron Johnson and some others, they're actually vying for those billionaires' dollars. Um, so they're saying, you know, I'm not going to hide it until after the election. I'm going to say it right now. And these Wall Street billionaires, they're, they're sickos, right? They want this. They're demanding of Mitch McConnell, like, come on, get out there and tell people that we're going to take on this uh, entitlement, da, 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 da. And Mitch McConnell was powerful and subtle enough to be able to push it until after the election. But his uh, grip on power is slipping. And it started with Rick Scott. It's been the most fun internecine Republican battle I've ever seen. Uh, Rick Scott is also like, he is no Mitch McConnell. The guy is very, he's, he's very dangerous. Uh, I testified at a budget committee hearing uh, with that Senator Sanders chaired. Uh, and Rick Scott came in and he sat down and he just lied for his entire four minutes. He just straightforward, right to the camera, didn't talk to me or any of the witnesses, just lied about what he does. Um, so, I mean, he's an operator, but he is no Mitch McConnell. So the reason that you're seeing it is you really have to think of, these guys are, are dialing for dollars. Uh, and each news clip that they can show of them saying, we're gonna you know, take uh, social security uh, and um, you know, destroy it, that translates as billionaire dollars for them. So that's why you're seeing it now, is they're trying to like, outdo each other for who can be you know, more stupid and more cruel. Especially odd coming from a senator from Florida where the, popula you know, the high percentage of the po voting population is elderly. Yeah, what they know, though, and I know you know this um, in communications, what they know is that their propaganda machine is really um, powerful and, and has no shame. So what they try to do is like narrow cast, right? So they're talking to these billionaires in one venue on CNBC or right something like that, um, something that really only the billionaire class is watching or they go to Davos. Um, but then when they go home, they just lie and right and and uh, they it doesn't matter. They'll lie right to the face of uh, journalists. Journalists will try to grill them on it and they'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, I never said that. You know, it's the Democrats who want to do that. Um, and there's so much bad um, like, you know, when you have Fox News just willing to say whatever and totally divorced from the truth, that really protects them um, from having to face the consequences of these really unpopular ideas. There's, it's only so long though. So once they get in power uh, and then there's like, you know, no, it's not happening, no, it's not happening. And then suddenly people realize it and there's this huge backlash, which is why I am concerned, but I'm also, it, I am more ready for this fight that the Republicans are gonna bring than I ever have, and we are as a movement, we're ready to win this. We're ready to say, yeah, you try to cut Social Security on our watch, uh, and you're going to lose the next election bigger than you can even imagine. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think the Democrats have uh, effectively 
warned about the uh, Republican threat to Social Security? Do you think they've adequately addressed the issue in the campaign? I think they've done a much better job than they ever have before. I've been doing this for a while. I can tell you they're, they're, they're closing on the Republican threat to Social Security. And I, I am very happy to see that. Um, I was really happy to see uh, President uh, Barack Obama come out and, you know, hammer the Republicans for wanting to cut Social Security. I've seen President Biden uh, return to this over and over again. And I really think they are closing very strong. If I had my druthers, you know, the truth is that it's Republicans want to cut Social Security. Democrats are trying to expand Social Security. Um, and I would be highlighting that distinction much more than they are. So in the House, you know, you have 209 members on John Larson's bill to expand Social Security. Uh, in the Senate, you have uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's bill to increase people's benefits by $200 a month. Um, that's what the Democrats are fighting for. Uh, the Republicans are fighting to cut Social Security and the Democrats are fighting to expand it. If I was the in charge of messaging for the national, um, you know, for DCCC, DSCC and DNC, that's what I would be pushing. Um, but I still give them high marks on um, seeing that closing on economics is actually a really good idea. And, and we're seeing paid and earned media on that. So I give them high marks on understanding that um, you know, Social Security is the system that has a plan for inflation. You want to talk about inflation, talk about the fact that Social Security is why people on fixed incomes are getting a giant cola to try to take uh, the sting out of the inflation, right? And Republicans are trying to cut the cola. Um, so Democrats are definitely have solutions for people. They're trying to lower, they actually passed a law to lower drug prices. Republicans are actively promising to take away Medicare's ability to negotiate drug prices and raise people's prices. That's inflation. That's what people are feeling is prices going up. So I, and that's corporate greed. I, I know you and I know it, but I want to state it. What people are hurting from is corporate greed. You can't talk about record inflation without the same sentence saying record corporate profits. The billionaires talk about it openly. In their, in their world, they talk about not leaving any prices on the table. They will use any, um, anything they can to raise prices on us. So I think the Republicans had, have done a okay job of bringing the fight to um, the Democrats, but they're more in disarray than the Democrats. I mean, President uh, Trump, former President Trump, uh, he attacked Ron DeSantis in a in a in a GOTV venue, right? In a get out the vote venue in Pennsylvania. So they're attacking each other. Their message is pretty muddled. Um, the media, on the other hand, the corporate media are doing a wonderful job of misinforming the public about where uh, people are or who is promising to do what. Um, so I think the Democrats have done a good job. I think the Republicans have done a poor to fair job. And I think the corporate media is just distorting the whole thing uh, and generally doing a giant disservice to the people, which is why your show is so important, getting the truth out there. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the uh, legislation you referred to to strengthen Social Security and uh, what Democrats would like to do or should do? Yeah, so both of them, they're slightly different, but in the way that legislation works, that's okay, because you take the two ideas, one from the House, one from the Senate, and you sort of merge them into one. Um, and 
I think the $200 uh, a month benefit increase that actually uh, Senator Warren came up with during the campaign and then Senator Bernie Sanders and her have actually joined forces to push forward. I think that's going to be the most likely across the board benefit increase because it's really easy to explain and for people to understand. So you increase benefits across the board, $200 a month. You increase benefits more for poorer folks. Um, so you actually target some of the benefits uh, as well. So you raise benefits for everyone and then you raise benefits for those who need it most um, as well. And then there's some other adjustments in there, but generally what we're talking about is an across the board benefit increase, some targeted increases, and then how you pay for it. I think if you look in the Senate, you have a, a good vision of what the, the mechanism will be. You just get everybody to pay in on all of their income, both wages and capital gains at the same rate as the rest of us. What Bernie Sanders does is he puts a, a donut hole in there though. He doesn't raise it uh, until people make above $250,000. So he's not raising it on people in between uh, where it is now and $250,000 a year. So only people making $250,000 a year or more uh, would see an increase. And what we do is we expand benefits for everybody. That's the Democratic vision uh, for Social Security. The Republican vision for Social Security is a, is a burning hole in the ground. Okay. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Alex Lawson, who is the executive director of socialsecuritywork.org. Uh, and I think the argument you made about closing with uh, the Republican threat to Social Security and Medicare is very important because I think the biggest problem voters are having right now with Democrats is they don't address economic issues aggressively enough. And talking about Social Security and Medicare is the perfect way to do that. Uh, I want to thank our guest in this, uh, in this hour, uh, Carolyn Vakil, campaign correspondent for The Hill, and Alex Lawson, executive director of SocialSecurityWork.org. Thanks for tuning in to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We'll talk again soon.